This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. I'll pray for Mr. Steve this morning. He's got a good word, and we're just so thankful to be with you guys. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. We don't want to take it for granted that we can gather together in your presence this morning. We're so grateful that we get to encounter you and worship you. We're so grateful that we can be called the children of God. Lord, this morning we don't want to forget the brothers and sisters around this world who are persecuted for their faith, that they can't assemble this morning um, or their morning because, not because of COVID and not because of a global pandemic, but because they're persecuted for their faith, because it's illegal. We just speak strength and boldness to your persecuted church right now. God, we pray that you would be their strength, you would be their guide, that you would be their hope, that you would be their peace. Lord, that many, even the enemies um, that they have in their lives would come to repentance, that they would come to know you fully. We lift them up this morning. It's so easy to uh, take it for granted that we get to gather, even even with the restrictions and hindrances and inconveniences we've had this year. Lord, I don't want to um, invalidate anything that anyone in this room has gone through. It's been, a, it's been a difficult season, but we thank you that you're with us. We thank you that we're here this morning or that we're able to watch online and that we're able to lift up the name of Jesus. We just pray even for um, our church family in Burundi. Christian Chapel family may not know this, but they have family in Burundi who was so excited for this morning. They knew we were speaking in a church that's partnered with them, and they gave their greetings. And so we just speak their their words of blessing over Christian Chapel this morning, that this place would be a place of God's presence, that even from the youngest um, in the nursery and to, to the oldest, wisest among us, that your presence would be marked on their lives, that they would be those who would grow in the mission of God and that they would serve you with full obedience. We love you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to us, to convict us, to challenge us, and to make us more like Jesus this morning. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bailey. I'm really thankful for my wife. She's incredibly uh, tech savvy. She keeps me updated on everything related to social media whether that be Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or YouTube. And for me, it's all a little bit over my head. I wish they'd come up with one platform and just call it You Insta Twitface. I think that'd make things a lot easier. Um, Pastor Chris asked me to uh, kind of unpack uh, our series from Exodus chapter 3, and we are in this idea of Exodus stories, a God who saves, a God who saves. And so... Uh, Because my wife is so uh, social media savvy, she tells me that one of the trending um, trends, the trending trends (laughs) online right now is, it's fall, y'all, right? And so I thought, well, what better way to contextualize? I got two laughs back there. Thank you. I saw those. Um, What better way to contextualize the message than to, you know, make it, there's still a call, y'all. Yeah, I know. It's Oklahoma. It's okay. We can use y'all, right? We can use y'all. Thank you. Um, And so today we want to talk about this uh, idea that God saves through our participation, okay? God saves through our participation, and that God saves uh, by calling unlikely people from unlikely places to reveal his kingdom, all right? So if you have your Bible or your smartphone or your dumb phone, either way, could you turn to Exodus uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10? And I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and it should be on the screen up here. So we're going to pick up the narrative here in verse 1 through verse 10. 
The word of God says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Notice that God called to him. And he said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then he said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, and I've had a few of those in Africa, by the way, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Pastor Chris has already kind of preached most of my message for me over the last couple of weeks by telling everybody about what's going on in Burundi, so I'm thankful for that. Um, but just kind of maybe to give everybody more of an update from some of us, you may not even know what, where Burundi is, so it is Central Africa. There was a terrible genocide there that took place in 1994 that lasted until 2005, so 11 years of political instability that cost anywhere from 800,000 to a million lives. Again, in 2015, there was another coup that cost another 10 to 20,000 lives, depending on uh, what statistics you read. And yet the good news is that Jesus is building his church in the middle of Central Africa. And you guys are a part of it, and we've already mentioned, but you have helped put in 14 churches over the last 12 months all across the nation of Burundi. And in any one of those uh, churches, we have been saying that 50 to 100 people uh, come to Christ almost immediately. And we recently did a survey, this was in August, because I wanted to see, like, how is this thing really working? And what we discovered is that over the course of the last two years, when we started a very focused church planting effort, there were somewhere around 4,000 members in the Burundi Assemblies of God uh, Fellowship. Fast forward two years later, and now we have 10,000 members in the Burundi Assemblies of God Fellowship. So we've put in 25 churches in the last two years. You guys have put in 14 of them, so a little bit more than half of that. So the idea is that instead of 50 to 100 people coming to Christ in these churches, these churches are probably now running somewhere between 150 to 200 people um, across the board. And I think that that is cause for celebration. Um, that represents your faithfulness. And we, we, I say we, on behalf of the general superintendent, um, Jerome and Daisaba and the executive committee, thank you for having a heart and a willingness to uh, believe and to give and to be a part of what God's doing, not only in Burundi. I know we're talking about Burundi today, but on behalf of missionaries that you support globally, this is a missionally minded house and we love you, we celebrate with you, and we thank you for having God's heart uh, in this hour. As I was preparing for this message and thinking about this idea of there's still a call, Y'all, good. Two people remember the title. Well done. 
Um, I remembered a story from somewhere around 2007 when I first moved to Burundi. We only had six churches at that time. Right now we have about 70, so we've grown quite a bit. And it was really hard in the early days and discouraged and lonely and I was struggling physically. I won't go into all of it. But if you ever had a, you know, just an honest heart to heart with God where you feel like you have to like tell God something that he doesn't know. And so I looked up to the heavens. I also remember I was sitting in my pickup truck and I went, God, why didn't you call more missionaries to Burundi? As if, you know, God needed me to vent on him that particular afternoon. And I said it, and I didn't really expect any kind of a response. It was just kind of like more clearing my emotionally uh, unhealthy feelings at that moment. And as clear as a bell, I remember the Spirit spoke back, and I believe what he said to me was, I did call them, but they didn't respond. And that left me with this thought that I kind of want to develop this morning that I think comes across very clearly in Exodus chapter 3, and the thought is this. Our response to God's call matters. And let's take it a step further and say your response to God's call matters. Now, this passage that we are looking at deals with God's call for Moses' life. And God is going to go out of his way to get Moses' attention. In fact, in verse 2, the uh, Bible says that as Moses was walking along, he saw this bush and behold... It was burning. The behold is kind of an important word because it makes you ask the question, what is it that he beheld? And of course, if you grew up in church, you've heard this idea of the burning bush and burning bush moments and burning bush encounters. But let's pretend for a moment that you don't know all that and you're walking through the desert and all of a sudden you see a bush engulfed in flames and wouldn't that get your attention? And so the idea comes across pretty clearly that with a bush burning in the middle of a desert, this is not normal. This is not the anticipated or expected manner in which life normally happened in Moses' day. So much to the point that Moses felt compelled to approach the bush to figure out what was going on. And I think that it really is applicable to where we are right now in 2020. Bailey says I used the year 2000 in the first service, so I must still be stuck on Y2K, all right? But we are now in 2020, in case you didn't know that, or in case I didn't know that. And would you agree with me that 2020 has been anything but normal? All right, just the very fact that we're gathered in this room wearing masks and social distancing and whatever else may be going on. At some level, what is happening in our world around us is abnormal. And so the question becomes, how do we interpret abnormal events in the course of life in a way that is consistent with our faith? Now, there's multiple possibilities that people have shared. Some people prefer the conspiracy theory route, and I don't really subscribe to it that much because it just seems too obscure and out there. Um, Other people prefer the political narrative that it's either Democrat or Republican and there's some kind of underlying whatever. And I look at that and I go, I have a problem with that because I'm not called to be an elephant. I'm not called to be a donkey. I'm called to follow the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? And so at some point I have to stay in my lane, which is the kingdom of God, right? Uh, Some people pretend that it doesn't exist. And I have some friends that basically have said, you know, everything is normal. And I'm like, I don't know how you can come to that conclusion when there is a mask mandate in the city of Tulsa, right? Um, But if you did, then that's that's fine. That's on you. But I'm going to suggest today that when things aren't normal, that God is offering a fourth alternative in terms of how to interpret the events around us. And what God is speaking is that we still have a call 
y'all. Right, Leonard Ravenhill said this once upon a time. He said, the church has been subnormal for so long that when it becomes normal, it starts to look abnormal. So could it be that we are in an hour and a season where God's saying, I'm tired of my church being abnormal in terms of what they thought was normal, and I want to move them to the place that they may think is abnormal, but I call it normal from a kingdom perspective. So I look at this passage, there's still a call, and I have three simple observations this morning on what that calling looks like. So observation number one, calling equals your personal missional engagement. Calling equals your personal mission engagement. This is from verse 10. It's interesting that when God calls Moses and he says, I've seen the suffering of my people, God doesn't say, I'm going to deliver them by putting stars that flash in the sky that say, I haven't forgotten you. Or God doesn't say, I'm going to send a windstorm out of the east and it's going to blow through Egypt and make Pharaoh want to release you. No, at some level, when it comes to the call of God, there is the implication of personal responsibility and personal involvement. Now, growing up in church, uh, or if you didn't grow up in church, you may have heard uh, this uh, phraseology used at some point or another, and it goes something like this, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Have you ever heard that before? Okay, three of us? All right. God does have a wonderful plan for your life, right? Um, But I think what happens is we actually have gotten it all backwards, and we've gotten it in the wrong order. Yes, God does have a wonderful plan for your life, but maybe it's more that your life needs to be a part of God's wonderful plan. Because one emphasizes me at the center of my life and the other emphasizes God being at the center of um, my life. And this is what the idea of missional involvement really looks like. Now, I know those are big words. Missional involvement. Is this an academic exercise? Um, No, it's not. But maybe let's break it down a little bit just so that we're on the same page in terms of uh, comprehension and understanding. So when I use the word mission, what are we talking about? Well, we put it in the notes up here. It's this idea that God's redemptive purpose to bring people everywhere into a personal relationship with himself to form the church. All right? God's redemptive purpose to bring people everywhere into personal relationship with him to form the church. Now, when we talk about church, the Greek word is ecclesia. I won't go all nerdy on you, just a little bit nerdy on you. Um, But it comes from two words, ekklesia, right? And it literally means to call out of, all right? So it's this image of being called out of sin, being called out of darkness, being called out of bondage, being called out of uh, Satan's tyranny over our lives. Uh, But it's also this idea of being called to something. So called out and called to, called to community, called to purpose, called to uh, mission. And right away, I hope you're beginning to see that the motif from the book of Exodus is right here within the uh, fabric and context of the church, right? Because Mexico, (laughs) Exodus is all about this idea of being called out. I guess I'm hungry and waiting for my chips and salsa. All right. Interestingly, the Greek, uh, when they translated, uh, the, they translated the Old Testament in Greek, that's called the Septuagint, is the name of the translation. Uh, they went back, and whenever the Bible talks about the Israelite community, they use the term ecclesia, okay? So right away, you have ecclesia, New Testament, ecclesia, Old Testament. One refers to God's people. The other refers to God's people. One refers to God's people coming out of bondage under Egypt. The other refers to God's people being called out of bondage under Satan and under the enemy, okay? So this is this idea of mission, all right? Our lives are to be lived in such a way that we are a part of helping other people experience the redemption of Jesus Christ so that the church can be expanded. Beyond that, it's not just mission, but it's this idea of missions, all right? So what's the difference between mission and missions? 
Well, missions means, is the means and the strategy to implement God's mission cross-culturally, okay? To implement God's mission cross-culturally. Now, some of you are sitting there going, okay, great, so what? Well, the implication for this passage is very interesting. Whether you realize it or not, the burning bush moment is a mission and missions opportunity for Moses. What do I mean by that? Do not miss the cross-cultural implications and dimensions of this passage. Moses is a Hebrew. Moses was born in Egypt, which is Africa. He's now living in Saudi Arabia, which is Midian. He's being sent back to Egypt with God's mission to lead the ecclesia towards the land of the Hivites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Perizzites in order to take more territory for God's kingdom. All right, so right away you see in Exodus chapter 3 this idea of mission and missions. Now, how does this relate to us today? Well, I think at least for me, when I thought of Exodus chapter 3, I always imagined Moses as a young man walking up to this bush and having this powerful encounter. But the more you unpack this story, you recognize that at the end of Exodus chapter 2, when Moses tries to fulfill God's mission in his own strength, Moses is around 40 years old. The Bible doesn't tell us about the next 40 years. The Bible picks up the narrative in Exodus chapter 3 where he's now 80 years old. So 40 years have gone by. So this is not the picture of a young man coming up to a bush. This is the picture of an elderly, you know, he's going to live to be 120. So he's two-thirds of the way through his life. And the implication in Scripture is that he's actually in some kind of a backslid condition. He's been living amongst the Midians, and when we talk about the Midians in Scripture, these are not God worshipers. These are not Yahweh worshipers. These are spiritists and animists. And you see this picture that at some point Moses understood the call of God on his life 40 years ago. At some point Moses understood that there was a purpose that God had placed upon his life 40 years ago. But now God is going to encounter his man and remind him of what he had spoken, and more than that, remind him of the call that was still there, y'all, for not only Moses, but also for each of us here today in our lives. D.L. Moody, in describing this passage of Scripture, once put it this way, and I think it's really interesting. He said, Moses spent his first 40 years thinking he was a somebody. He spent his second 40 years learning he was a nobody. Then he spent his third 40 years discovering what God can do through a nobody. Now, I like that because I resonate with that very strongly and feeling like a nobody trying to learn how to let God use me to accomplish his purpose. Christian Chapel, this entire passage resonates in my spirit because I believe there's still a call for you all as well. There's still a call to reach the city. There's still a call to disciple the next generation. There's still a call to care for women who have decided not to abort. There's still a call to be a body that demonstrates the moving and operation of the gifts of the Spirit. There's still a call to raise a godly family, whether through biological or foster care. There's still a call not only corporately, but there's a call personally. And that was the call from heaven. Sure, today's about planting churches in Burundi, but I believe it's so much more than that. Today is about what God wants to do in terms of refreshing, reviving, and what Pastor Amy talked about, resurrecting what he's doing in your heart today. I believe that there are things that he's spoken. There's dreams that he deposited. There's callings that he had that they may have lapsed. They may have gone dormant for whatever reason. The pressures of life, 2020, family concerns, work environment, I don't know. But at some level, I believe that what God's speaking over this body is, Christian Chapel, you still have a call. Y'all, I love it. Whoever got that. 
Secondly, calling equals intimacy plus purpose. Calling equals intimacy plus purpose. How do you keep your personal missional engagement sustained? Now, for many in the church, we are very outcome-focused, and we talk about 14 churches were planted, there's 50 to 100 people that are in each church, there were this many people who made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, we have this many, you know, new buildings, blah, 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 Um, but what happens at some level is that if you are exclusively focused on doing for God, you will run out of momentum and steam. And so at some point, we see this illustrated in the life of Moses because the fire that had burned in his heart 40 years earlier had gone out. And so the burning bush is really a story about putting fire back into the life of a burned out believer. And I think that the only way that this can happen is this idea here that I put on the screen of know God and make him known. Now, I know that that's not rocket science, but I forget, I think so often we forget the order in which we're called to live our lives. And that would be to know God first, to have relationship with Him, to experience His calling, and more than that, to experience His holiness. I'm trying not to move right now because I don't want to scare anybody else, all right? And so the idea comes along the lines of... Thank you. The idea comes along this place here that at some level, when the call of God is coming on our lives, it's an invitation to interact with the holiness of God. Now, when Moses is interacting with God's holiness, God is giving him an opportunity for intimacy. Intimacy is this idea that you can know who God is. You can have relationship with God. And out of that, then we go forth to make God known. So God invites Moses back to the place of intimacy. How does he do this? He reveals his holiness by inviting Moses to worship. Now, this may not look significant initially, but I think it's powerful because at some level when God says, Moses, take off your shoes and there's nobody sitting here in the first two rows, so we'll be good. When Moses takes off his sandals in the ancient world, this was symbolic of recognizing that you are in the presence of one greater than yourself and that you must respond accordingly. So when Moses is taking off his sandals, sandals for a shepherd would represent his social status, his standing in society. What he is doing is he is, he is opening up and making space in his life so that he can experience God in the place of worship. And more than that, these shoes, were, those sandals would have been caked with um, sheep poo and all kinds of, you know, goat excrement and dirt and it would have represented his past and his failures and his disappointments and all of the pain that was associated with his life up to that point and God was saying put it to the side encounter my holiness enter into the fullness of who I am because not only is there purpose but I want to have intimacy with you and I think we see this beautiful motif emerge once again from the book of Exodus that Moses is stepping out. He's stepping out like the people of God. He's on a micro level. Moses is experiencing what the church is ultimately going to experience in the days ahead. And as Moses has this worship experience before God, after stepping out of the place where he's been in, what we see is that the, the culmination of history is this idea of worship, right? And I know last year when I was here, I did use this example 
But honestly, I don't know a better way to illustrate this idea of worship. And that the ultimate goal of salvation is not to build new churches, it's to invite new people to worship Jesus. We use this mechanism of building churches to give people that opportunity, but that's not our ultimate goal. Our ultimate goal is to assemble people around the throne so that they can experience the glorious, white, hot, radical worship of who Jesus is. I wish I could take you to Bujumbura, Burundi today on a Sunday morning and you could hear them singing in Kirundi, Uruera. Uruera we mwama winhama kwakira ichubahiro amashimwe nububasha iteka yose. Or maybe to hear the Malagasy from the Merana people that I worked with in 2011 and 2012 saying, Masina, Masina, Yanao, Numendrika, Handrai, Nidera, Sinihazas, Nivununayatra, Fanzaka, Mandrikizaya, Mandrikizaya. Or maybe the Maasai from southern Kenya were also planting some churches and hearing them singing, Sinyati, Sinyati, Eye il kuole ker kinakino, Tenengamu, Engolon, Enkisisa. And hearing them do their dance, right? And then the Rwanda and the Burundians because they have this crane dance that they do when they come before the king. I won't try to do it. I'll have to go to the chiropractor afterwards, right? And then you have the Spanish and you have, you know, the Italians and the Portuguese saying, Santo, 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 Santo. And those from Tanzania saying, And you have the French, And you mix it all together in a cacophony of sounds and you add the Maasai jumping and the dancing of the Burundians and then you throw in the undulations that the Africans love and you have people bowing down and worshipping and some are jumping and some have their hands raised and you have a picture of what Exodus is really all about that every generation has an opportunity to be gathered around the throne and to worship Jesus for who he is we said calling equals intimacy plus purpose but maybe we should say it this way Intimacy with Jesus actually intensifies purpose. If you're not passionate about missions today or you're not passionate about mission, it's probably because you're not passionate about worship and you don't understand the true story of what Exodus is really all about. Thirdly, and finally, and you know when a preacher like myself says finally and that I'm closing, it doesn't mean anything. Calling equals overcoming excuses. Calling equals overcoming excuses. Now, up to this point, I've kind of made this message really simple, right? Or really easy. Personal missional involvement. Whoa, isn't that easy? Experience his holiness and respond in worship. Know God and get a heart to make him known. Yet when God starts really sifting through us and calling us to go on his behalf and to take off our sandals and to make space for him to use our lives in powerful fashion, invariably something will happen. And do you know what that something is? Excuses will pop up usually along the lines of inferiority and insecurity. I can stand before you today as a man who has wrestled and grappled with both significantly in my life. And I think that that's why God is so intentional in this calling to speak to Moses by name. He does not say, hey guy, tending your sheep, walking by the bush, come over here for a second. Instead, God thunders. You can almost just hear the voice thundering and he says, Moses, Moses. Why the repetition? Because it was the biblical way of emphasizing the fact that God not only knew who this man was, but he knew where this man came from, and he knew everything about the man up to this point. It's like when Jesus says, Martha, Martha, or Peter, Peter. So if God knows your name, then he knows everything else about you as well. 
And yet, I would think Moses would be so humble. Okay, God, I'm ready. I'm willing. And yet, for the rest of chapter 3, you're going to find excuse after excuse. You get into chapter 4, and he goes into overdrive on the excuses. Uh, In fact, it's almost hysterical. In verse 11, who am I? Verse 13, who are you, God? Chapter 4, verse 1, what if they don't believe me? Chapter chapter 4, verse 10 sounds nice, but it doesn't apply to me because I'm a stutterer. And then this one's my favorite, chapter 4, verse 13. Have you ever felt like this? Moses says, oh, Lord, please just send somebody else. I mean, I love that. It's so relatable, right? You're like, oh, God's got this great mission and plan and calling. Oh, it's going to be good. Nah, send, send Pastor Chris, God. I like that idea better. And it reminds me of the story about four people in the kingdom of God named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. Each of them were asked to go to the nations, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought that anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. Isn't that such a picture of what happens so often in the church? And so I just want to close with these three main excuses that I think we bring so often when God starts speaking along these lines And what we say is this idea, number one, is I can't be the one. I can't be the one, God. And God's response here in Exodus 3 and 4 is interesting because basically what God's going to say is, my presence makes anyone holy and heroic. My presence makes anyone who will respond both holy and heroic. Now, I illustrate this story with Pastor Adrian. Pastor Adrian has become one of my great friends in Burundi. And what's interesting and what I love about this guy is just a few years ago, he was selling beer on the side of the streets uh, in Burundi. And one day he got particularly drunk from some of his own uh, wares that he was selling. And he heard a voice speaking to him. And the voice said, I want you to plant a church. And of course, he thought, well, that can't be God. But then he thought, well, maybe it is God, because why would the devil tell me to plant a church? And so as he wrestles with this, it happened like two or three different times. There was a little AG church down the road. And so he goes to the church. He ends up giving his life to Christ. He receives, accepts this call to go plant a church, goes and gets trained in our church planting school that you guys hopefully know about. I talked about it last year. And what come out of that is that he went about 18 months ago and started this church Uh, as a cell group. And there was no land, no building. And so what I love about Pastor Adrian is he's so committed to the call that he decided to sell his house, which in Africa is like a really big deal. It'd be a big deal in America, but it was a really big deal. He sold his house with the money. He bought a piece of land to plant the church, all right? I heard about that and I said, I don't care what the strategic plan is for this area. We have to make him one of the top priorities in terms of a church plant. On the right there, we just put in an elementary school. They have about 60 kids there uh, throughout the week learning about Jesus and learning uh, how to read and write. And the cool thing about this is that Pastor Adrian, over the course of the last uh, 18 months, has planted three churches out of his church. And he sent over five people to the church planting school because he wants to reproduce churches in that region of Burundi. What's God's calling saying? Moses and Christian Chapel, you are the one. Second excuse is this, this can't be the place. His presence makes any place holy and significant for the kingdom. So God responds and says, yes, actually, Moses, this is the place. Now, in Pastor Adrian's church, there was this lady here by the name of Guadalive and her husband, Ronaldo. Ronaldo was an alcoholic up until 10 months ago. 
Guadalupe was one of the elders of the church. And as Pastor Adrian preached about the call of God in planting churches, she said, you know what? I want to go to church planting school, but I don't think my husband will let me because we have a four-month-old baby. Pastor Adrian went and talked to the husband. The husband said, okay, I will accept for you to stay here at the house and take care of the other kids if you take the four-month-old baby with you to church planting school in Bujumbura for four months. So for four months, she sits in the back of the classroom taking care of their four-month-old baby, getting trained on how to do church planting. When graduation time came around, Ronaldo decided he was going to come and participate in the ceremony. He got so moved by what God was doing and hearing the testimony of those graduating that he made a decision to say, I'm going to not only give my life to Jesus, but at the next intake of church planters, I'm going to go and learn how to be a church planter as well. He just graduated in June. They are now in a place called Nyeshenza. You say, where in the world is Nyeshenza? I don't know. Honestly, I've never been there. I looked on Google Maps. I couldn't find it. They told me you drive past Chibitoke, you turn at Rugombo Junction, you drive through Samwe, and then at the Gontangati intersection, you will be there. Clear? Got it? What's the point? God's holiness makes unheard of places significant kingdom places. Over the course of the last 12 months, you guys have planted churches in Rusengo, Gashikanwa, Mutwana, Kibenga, Kabuyenge, Kirekura, Kabonga, Kiage, Kimeni, Mutaho, Buhomba, Songa, and Muhama. No, I'm not praying in tongues. I'm talking about villages and towns across the nation of Burundi where Jesus is being made famous because of your faithfulness. How can that be? Because the presence of God makes a place holy. The presence of God makes a place significant for his kingdom. What does God's calling say? It says his holiness makes anywhere the place. Moses in Christian chapel, you're not only the one, but this is the place. And then finally, no, now can't be the time. This is the third excuse that we love to use. And I think the response to this is his presence makes every moment significant for eternity. His presence makes any moment significant for eternity. We love to come up with reasons why now is not a good time to be implicated in God's plan. Life's too busy, too many commitments, too many activities, too many responsibilities. I don't prepared, feel prepared. I don't feel qualified. And I think God's coming along and he's just speaking over our lives once again. And he's saying, Christian Chapel, now is the time. Listen, Jesus is looking for a multi-ethnic, globally intimate bride that will be assembled as the church of Jesus Christ. And the best way I know how to illustrate this idea of now is the time, it's my junior year. You may have heard this story before, but I'm going into chapel at Oral Roberts University and I feel the Lord start dealing with my heart and speak to me something to the effect, Stephen, you're going to meet your wife here. Now, when you're 21 years old and God starts talking to you about meeting your wife and particularly when you're at Oral Roberts University, you start jumping up and down because you're like, yeah, God, I love this direction that you're going. And so I walked into chapel that morning. I looked around and I was trying to find her because he said, you're going to find her, your wife here. And I thought he meant now. And so I'm looking around. She's got, you know, she's cute. Oh, she's lifting her arms more. So she's probably more spiritual than the other girl over there. So I kind of like that one. And the year came and went and I graduated from ORU and I moved back to Kenya and you know, has God ever spoken to you and you try and make his word a little bit elastic? You try to stretch it. When God said, you'll meet your wife here, and I interpret that to mean the chapel of ORU, um, then you start saying, well, when he meant here, maybe he meant like planet Earth, like the entire globe, right? And so I'm in Kenya thinking, yeah, I'll meet her here. And two years go by, and now I'm living in Burundi in the middle of the Civil War, and I'm thinking, maybe he meant here, right? Stretch it a little bit more, and then I end up in Madagascar some seven years later, and no wife. I did find King Julian. I like to move it, move it, but... Um, 
No wife. Come back to the States on furlough. Ten years have gone by at this point. I meet Bailey. You guys had the opportunity. And I met her in that building, by the way, ironically enough, or prophetically enough. And um, the point is simply this. I waited ten years for my bride. Jesus has been waiting more than 2,000 for his. Now is the time. This is the place. We are the ones who have been entrusted to respond to the call. Because there is still a call, y'all. Lord, we love you today. We thank you for the opportunity to respond to your word. We thank you for the opportunity to hear what you're speaking and saying to us. Lord, I'm grateful for every person right now in this place. I thank you that you have purposes and callings. And Lord, you are doing something great in and through our lives. I know that. I know you're moving at Christian Chapel in a powerful way. And Lord, today we want to come before you and we want to pray that we would have a fresh ear to hear what your spirit is speaking. We would have a fresh sensitivity to what you are saying in this hour. Lord, for those who may have felt like they've missed out on what you have been speaking up to this point, we just ask that this would be an hour and a moment when, Lord, that connection would take place and that your fire would fall in hearts and lives afresh and anew like it did on that burning bush that day that you would be glorified greatly. Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do. Just for a moment, would you just pray with me uh, for Burundi? I just feel like as a, as a group, Lord, we just, we just ask that you would move in that great nation, that, Lord, you would pour out your spirit. Lord, you know the heartache and the suffering and the pain that they've felt, and we just pray together that, Lord, you would, you would do something powerful for your namesake, that you would keep building your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Stephen. We're going to partner with Stephen and Bailey this morning and give to build churches in Burundi. Uh, hopefully you had some time to think and pray about it. If not, you have some time uh, this morning to do so. Ushers are going to come. We've recruited some of our chapel youth students to help us out. If you'd like a, a giving envelope, just raise your hand. They'll drop those off for you. You can also give online at christianchapel.com give and just select Burundi churches in that drop-down box. This morning's offering in its entirety is going to way to those church planners to build the buildings and be part of establishing God's kingdom in those cities. Um, I, I believe that God will speak to us so that the first church for next year has already been taken care of uh, by Christian Chapel, just out of our, our general fund giving. We have done one, and now we're just trusting the Lord to speak to us and see how many more we might build. I know for, for some of us, it's going to be our small gifts being combined together to build churches in Burundi. For others, maybe God has blessed you or is asking you to give sacrificially to be part of building one church or two or three, whatever it might be. We just want to encourage um, our obedience to what God is saying this morning. We believe that he's speaking and we want to respond to him. I also want to encourage you, I know sometimes if, if you maybe feel like, hey, I want to take care of one of those or two of those, but I'm not ready to do that right at this moment. But by the end of the year, I will be. If you'll just grab one of those um, offering envelopes, write your name on it, and just tell us, hey, I'm going to give this by the end of this year. That way we can pass that info on to Stephen and Bailey. They can plan accordingly for it. You can shoot me an email and let me know that, chris at christianchapel.com. Um, but we're just going to take a moment this morning to be part of what God is doing. These are our brothers and sisters who are planning churches to reach more of our brothers and sisters. And so it's really a, a privilege for us. Um, the band's gonna lead us in a song. As they do that, our students will come. They'll start to make their way through the aisles. So you're not gonna have to, to get up or go anywhere. They'll make their way through and uh, receive those gifts from us. 
Thank you for giving generously. Thank you for giving joyfully. Thank you for giving sacrificially to be part of what God is doing all over the world.
As we conclude this morning, I want to invite you uh, to join me. In, and I believe God is calling us to pray some prophetic prayers over Stephen and Bailey and over the church planning movement in Burundi as well. I, I love, there's part of my heart that is thrilled when he tells us that, hey, of 25 new church plants, Christian Chapel has helped build 14 of those. I think that's incredible. And yet I also long for the day that Stephen's list of church planters and places where God is moving is far beyond our ability to do half of or even a small percentage of. I believe that's what God wants to do. I believe that's what God is doing. So I'm going to invite you to, to pray those prayers with me for Stephen and for the, the church leaders in Burundi. And then I'm going to ask Stephen to pray those same prayers for us at Christian Chapel, that God will release those gifts in the same way here, that same passion, that same calling. We join me in that. Lord, we come to you. We're so thankful for what you have done and what you are doing through Stephen and Bailey, through the Burundi Assemblies of God, through each local church pastor. Lord, we celebrate the lives that have been changed. We celebrate the communities of faith that have been and are being established. And yet, Lord, as we hear your heart for everyone everywhere to know you, we can't help but ask you for more, Lord. Will you pour out more of your spirit on Stephen and Bailey? Will you pour out more of your power, more of your wisdom on the church leaders in Burundi? Will you call more men and women? Will you call more teenagers to be part of planting life-giving communities in every city, town, and village in Burundi? Will you continue to raise up more local communities of faith that shine like a city on the hill, that declare the praises of the one who's called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light? Lord, we pray for more. There would be more churches. There would be more people coming to know you. There would be more growth in your kingdom. There would be more supernatural signs of your presence. There would be more healing. There would be more salvation. There would be more provision. We pray, Lord, for bigger visions, for greater dreams, and for you to be glorified in every situation. Lord, we pray specifically for Stephen and Bailey this morning. Would you give them more favor? Lord, would you give them more open doors? Would you provide more ministry opportunities? Would you provide more in every way? God, as you continue to reveal things that are beyond their imagination, that are beyond their abilities, may they trust that as they follow, you provide. Lord, that where you call, you will be with them every step of the way. Give them wisdom and grace. Give them peace, Lord. Give them faith to trust and to follow. Lord, we pray for a greater move of your spirit that the story of the early 2000s, of 2020, of 2021, and the Burundi Assemblies of God will one day be just the, the beginning chapters of a great and historic move of God that spreads from Burundi throughout Africa, Lord. That not just thousands or tens of thousands, but millions upon millions would experience the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. Would you, would you lift up your hands right now? we pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that there is still a call. We thank you that the call has not been rescinded. The call has not been nullified. The call has not been canceled. Lord, the call is for every person, both within this room as well as those watching at home, whether that's on a computer or television screen or a device. Lord, we thank you that you are speaking and that, Lord, within that call is the invitation to a fresh worship encounter with the holiness of the living God. And, Lord, we want to pray over every single person today. Lord, no matter where they are, no matter what has transpired in 2020 up to this point, 
that God, there would be a fresh awareness of your holiness, a fresh awareness of your purpose, a fresh awareness that intimacy plus purpose is all about the calling of God. Lord, we're asking that there would be some burning bush moments. We're asking, oh God, that your word would come alive. We're asking, Lord, that your fire would fall in our hearts and in our lives once again. Lord, we pray for anyone in this place who the dream has died. The calling feels like it has gone out. We ask today for resurrection power to be released in the authority of the name of Jesus. And that, Lord, just like Moses, that, Lord, you would minister, you would encounter, you would heal, you would turn, you would change our hearts, Lord, so that we can be the kind of people that can respond to what you desire to do in our day, our age, and our generation. Lord, we thank you for what you have accomplished at Christian Chapel over the last five years and three years. It's been glorious to watch, and yet we know that this thing's just getting started. We know that you have greater missional trajectory and purpose in the days ahead, and so we're asking anyone who's been on the sidelines, anyone who's been hanging out in the kiddie pool, that, Lord, this would be the opportunity for them to take the plunge and to dive deep into what you're doing here in this house. Lord, we thank you for this, and we ask that you would release the gifts of your spirit, healings and prophecy and everything that you desire so that your name can be known famous and your church, oh God, can advance and grow mightily in this city and around the world. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name and all of God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.